0: This is the Friends of Israel Today. I'm Steve Conover. And I'm Chris Katolka. And we have a great Christmas gift for you. We are giving away one of our most popular books by our first executive director, Victor Buxbazin. The book is Isaiah's Messiah. It's a verse-by-verse exposition of Isaiah 53, one of the most powerful prophecies about the suffering Messiah. This easy-to-read book will answer any questions you may have about Israel's Messiah, Jesus. You can get your free copy of Isaiah's Messiah by going to foiradio.org or if you are in the U.S. or Canada, call our listener line at 888-343-6940. Order your copy of Isaiah's Messiah. Again, that's 888-343-6940. Today
1: from Jerusalem, Elliot Jagger, former editorial page editor at the Jerusalem Post, will be talking to us about the centennial celebration of the Balfour Declaration, a document that promised British support for a Jewish homeland in Israel. But first, some news from Israel. A bipartisan group of U.S. senators are looking to stop the anti-Israel boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, which is also called BDS. Senate bills will be introduced to curb businesses from participating with the BDS movement by imposing fines for participation. Maryland Senator Ben Cardin said Congress would do what it could to keep the BDS movement from marginalizing Israel. My friends, the boycott, divestment and sanctions movement says that it has an agenda to raise awareness about the Palestinian abuses that are happening in the West Bank, but in their approach to help the Palestinian people, they marginalize Israel and even hurt the people they say they wish to help. Listen, by purchasing Israeli products, you can help stop the BDS movement from accomplishing its mission.
0: Thank you, Chris, to listen to past programs or to read our notes for today's show, visit FOI Radio. Now we join Chris with our special guest, Elliot
1: Jager. Today, I am joined by Israel-based journalist, lecturer, editorial project manager, and author of the Pater, my father, my Judaism, my childlessness, Elliot Jagger. Great to have you on the program, sir. It's a
2: pleasure to be back with you.
1: Elliot, I always love having you on the air. You bring a fresh perspective to events that are happening in Israel. You bring a fresh perspective to kind of the political world, not only in Israel, but also in what's happening in the States. So I've invited Elliot on the program. Number one, I want to get his perspective on what was you know, what Israelis think of the recent election that we just had here in the States. And number two, we're about to celebrate the centennial celebration of what's called the Balfour Declaration. And I want, it's really important to the modern state of Israel, this Balfour Declaration. Elliot's going to share a bit about that and the effects that it's had. So we're going to dedicate our whole show to Elliot and, his, and the knowledge that he brings to us from Israel. So, Elliot, the first question I have is this. What were Israelis thinking as they were watching the election happen from a distance?
2: Of course, I can tell you that the Israelis were keenly interested in the election. Um, the anchor people from the three main Israeli news stations uh, were in uh, the United States. There was uh, live coverage throughout what is our night and throughout uh, throughout the day of the election results. So, um, a tremendous amount of interest in, in the election and. Uh, it, 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 as far as what Israelis make of the election, uh, frankly, that's very, very hard to tell. I think, uh, people, right now, the Prime Minister, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, has pleaded and ordered, uh, in that order, uh, his cabinet not to make contacts with the, uh, Trump uh, transition team, uh, and to, and to take their lead from him. And his lead is to, uh, sit tight. Uh, and, uh, and and
1: wait. So why do you think he is is holding back? Do you think he's letting Trump figure out what his next steps are in the transition team before he makes any uh, uh, moves to communicate with the uh, with the new government?
2: Well, I, I think actually a lot of this has to do with the internal Israeli politics rather than bilateral relations. Um, the Prime Minister of Israel um, does not actually, have complete authority over his own government, as funny as that may sound. Uh, the, the prime minister's party won about 30 seats in the 120-seat parliament for connect it. And so he cobbles together a coalition, and the other people in the coalition, among them uh, Minister uh, Natalie Bennett uh, and others, are making all sorts of statements uh, anticipating what Trump policy will be, and, uh, and, the, and the prime minister just thinks that it's inappropriate and simply politically not smart, and he's asking them to sit down and be quiet. Now, whether or not they listen to him is a completely different story. But the whole idea is that um, some of the ministers are going by the promises that uh, Donald Trump made in the campaign, and I think Netanyahu understands that that, you know, that was the campaign, and this is reality. He's and, a seasoned and politician. China.
1: He's a seasoned politician. He knows. <laughs> he sure. <is. laughs> we're speaking with Elliot Jagger, who's an Israeli-based journalist, and we've been unpacking uh, the the fun of the election. Not only as it's taken place here in the United States, but what Israelis have been thinking. But we're going to shift here for a moment because the the reason I asked Elliot to come on was to talk about the Balfour Declaration. Uh, it's it's entering into its one hundred year, 100th year. And so, Elliot, um, can you please explain for our audience, number one, what is the Balfour Declaration? Who was it written by? You know, can you unpack some of this for us so that we understand the significance of this centennial that's coming up?
2: Absolutely, Chris. You know, when I began reading about and writing about the Balfour Declaration, I thought I knew what it was. Uh, But the more I got into it, the more I realized that it was... um, the more I got fascinated by the Declaration itself uh, and who wrote it and to whom he wrote it and why it was written and the whole era. So let me, essentially the Balfour Declaration uh, was the first statement of, of support by any government to Zionist aspirations. And it took place, um, the, the Declaration was written by author James Balfour, who was the foreign minister or foreign secretary of the British government during World War One. The scene is World War One is raging, nineteen seventeen, November second, and Balfour sends a letter uh, to the leader of the Jewish community, asking him to be certain to send it on to the Zionist uh, Jews, the Zionist organization based in, in England, and, and stating that uh, the, the British government favors the idea of, of, a, of, a, of a national homeland for the Jewish people. This was dramatic. And 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 that fundamentally is what the Balfour Declaration is. It's just really uh, something like uh, uh, forty-seven words or so, uh, and and it it changed the course of uh, changed the course of history. I said forty; I meant meant sixty-seven words. But changed the course of history.
1: When we're talking about the Balfour Declaration, we're talking about a moment in history when the British finally said, "We are going to support." Uh, a Jewish national homeland, which is an amazing moment in history. This is what Theodore Herzl has been waiting for in many ways. Uh, he had passed, but the 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 father of modern Zionism longed for the day when a government official government said, "We approve of a Jewish national homeland." Is that right?
2: That's right, and it could only and and, and here I think the, the the context is very important. Um, Palestine and most of the Middle East, indeed the entire Middle East, was under the control of the Ottoman Empire, the Turks. And it had been hundreds and hundreds of years. It was clear during the war, the First World War, uh, that uh, Turkey would lose control of its empire. It was collapsing, and victory would go to Britain, to France, uh, to Russia, uh, all of them on the same side fighting uh, Turkey and Germany. So the question was, uh, what would happen to all of this territory that the Turks were about to lose? The Jews in England, led by Chaim Leitzman, um, lobbied intensively, intensely, to get the British to start thinking about the idea that if Turkey loses and the people going to lose, and if Britain um, uh, captures some of this territory, or all of this territory, what uh, would Britain consider uh, giving to the Jews their historic homeland, Palestine? And getting that far was extremely difficult. But on the other hand, the men who comprised the war cabinet, and it was a coalition government, meaning it wasn't just one party. It was led by a man named David Lloyd George, who was the prime minister, um, the coalition government contained a number of Christian Zionists, um, and arguably Arthur Balfour was one of them. And for various reasons, um, part of them having to do with um, Christianity, part of them having to do with just plain humanity, um, Balfour and Lloyd George and other people decided that they would push ahead with this. And, and and I have to tell you that a lot of the people involved in this project, in getting the British government to come out and, and support the Balfour Declaration. A lot of these people were not Jewish.
1: Listen, folks, when we return, we're going to continue with Elliot because this document, this amazing document, the Balfour Declaration, isn't just sitting in, in uh, England right now uh, in its history books. It's actually being revisited by the Palestinians as of recent. So we're going to have Elliot's take on that. So stick with us. At the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry, we want you to be equipped to share the gospel wherever you are. So as a gift, we are giving to you a free copy of the book, Isaiah's Messiah. You know, one of the greatest tools for sharing the message of Jesus is to show how he fulfilled the prophecies spoken about him hundreds of years before his birth. Isaiah 53 is one of those powerful prophecies that speak clearly of Jesus as God's suffering servant who would give his life for ours. In Victor Buxbazin's book, Isaiah's Messiah, Dr. Buxbazin masterfully answers the all-important Jewish question of who did the prophets speak. In a superb verse-by-verse exposition of Isaiah 53, Dr. Buxbazin shows how Isaiah 53, a section of the Bible never read in the synagogue, speaks unequivocally of Jesus. To order your free copy of Isaiah's Messiah, visit our website, foiradio.org, or call 888-343-6940. That's 888-343-6940. Folks, welcome back. We are with Elliot Jagger. Israeli-based journalists. We're talking the Balfour Declaration. We're talking about the power of it, a 100-year-old British document that promised support for a Jewish state, a very significant, very small document. Um, but this 100-year-old document is, is not without controversy. Um, today, uh, as of recent, the Palestinian president, Mahmoud Abbas, has almost promised to sue England, to sue Britain over this document, and demands an apology. Elliot, what is going on? Why would President Abbas do this? He's digging up this old document, and he's demanding an apology, and may even sue the United Kingdom for the Balfour Declaration. What's going on?
2: Well, Chris, if he decides to sue, uh, he'll he'll have to sue not just uh uh, Great Britain, but it'll have to sue the international community. It'll have to sue the inheritors of the League of Nations, which is the United Nations, uh, because uh, the Balfour Declaration was indeed a letter written by by Arthur Balfour as Foreign Secretary of uh, Great Britain to uh, the Jewish community and to the Zionist leadership in in, in 1917. But um, but the letter didn't stand by itself uh, because. Um, the, the, uh, the British then went to the Peace Conference at Versailles in, in the beginning of 1919, and uh, the, the Peace Conference essentially endorsed uh, the Balfour Declaration, uh, and, and then the, they said, well, we're going to have to formalize this endorsement at another conference, which was called the San Remo Conference, which took place in 1920. Uh, it was in San Remo, Italy and it was ratified by 52 nations of the League of Nations uh, on July twenty fourth, 1922. In other words, a, a, a letter from one government to one people was, was was ratified by all the countries of the world at the time, the League of Nations and 52 members of the League of Nations. Now, you, just parenthetically, the United States was not actually part of the League of Nations and and, and never joined, um, but the United States said it, passed a resolution uh, 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 supporting uh, the, the decision of the San Remo Conference and the Balfour Declaration. So in other words, every single major and minor power of the time and government of the time, including the United States, which was not even a member of the League of Nations, supported the Balfour Declaration. And when they granted England the authority to rule in Palestine, by giving England a League of, Ma- of, of Nations mandate for Palestine, the Mandate Clause was written so that the British understood that one of the reasons why they were getting this international mandate uh, was so that they could implement the Balfour Declaration. So I think sort of that's the context frame. It's a long opener to answer your question about uh, about the PLO threatening to sue the British government. Um because you get the idea. They, they, they. Now, the question is, though, nonetheless, I mean, what I just told you um, and your listeners is something that uh, uh, Abbas and, and his people know full well. So, but what they're doing is they're, 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 they're doing two things. Number one, they're assuming most people will never hear what I've just told you about the international imprimatur uh, for the Balfour Declaration. Uh, and they're gonna paint it as some sort of colonialist, imperialist plot right, right. against uh, the Arabs. That, that, that's one thing. But I, for me, uh, for me it says something, uh, a little different. For me it says that, uh, that, that the Palestinian Arabs and the, uh, and the Arab world in general are looking at the Balfour Declaration as sort of an original set. That is the very idea of granting the Jewish people uh, the right to return to their to their homeland. They're saying that's illegitimate. They're saying so. By saying that, Chris, it seems to me that uh, Abba is saying I don't have a problem with settlement, and I don't have a problem with the boundaries today, or I don't have a problem with Benjamin Netanyahu. I have a problem that there is a Jewish state because I am now suing or threatening to sue the idea that there should be a Jewish state. Right. So that's sort of transports us back uh, to where the Palestinians uh, were, in my view, all along, but supposedly uh, a position that they uh, claimed to have given up uh, in 1993 when they signed the
1: Oslo. Elliot, I want to thank you for being on our program and enlightening us to the Balfour Declaration. Folks, I want to encourage you, number one, follow Elliot on Twitter at Jager file. And uh, you can find out all the information about his, uh, his work and what he's doing there on his Twitter feed. Um, and also, I, I want to encourage you to look up the Balfour Declaration, because like, like Elliot said, it really was the impetus for getting the ball rolling with the nations on supporting and looking forward to a future Jewish state that would eventually be realized in 1948. So, Elliot, we want to thank you so much for being on the program, my friend.
2: Well, Chris, before I go, can I just plug the, uh, the balfour100.com website, which contains a great deal of information and that I help work on. Uh, it's, uh, www.balfour100, one word, dot com, www.balfour100.com. And it has all of the information and much, much more. And Friends of Israel will be able to, uh, arm themselves with, with, uh, knowledge and information. Uh, as they uh, go forth in the, in the year ahead.
1: You got it, Elliot. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it.
0: Israel, on the verge of becoming a state, a teenage Holocaust survivor arrives on her shores alone. His name is Svi Kalisher. Little did he know his search for a new life in the Holy Land would lead him to the Messiah. Svi, enthusiastic to share his faith, engaged others in spiritual conversations, many of which can be found in our magazine, Israel, My Glory. While Sve is now in the presence of his Savior, his collected writings from well over 50 years of ministry continue to encourage believers worldwide. Now, Apples of Gold, a dramatic reading from the life of Sve.
3: People all around us are lonely. I have such a neighbor. He stays distant from everyone. I became burdened for him. How could I show love to him? In Israel, we are not free to give out books, tracts, or to speak about the Lord. Here we must first become friendly with such a person. I racked my brain trying to figure out how to do this. So I fell on my knees and asked the Lord to show me. God answered my prayer two weeks later on a beautiful Sabbath day. My family and I were walking to the center of Jerusalem where we have our prayer meeting. As we were walking, who did we meet but this poor, lonely man? I suggested we walk together. I prayed silently, O Lord, please help me to show him how to open his heart to you. I could not believe this obstinate man became friendly as we walked. I asked, why do you act so strange? It would be easier to go to the moon than to be friends with you. He said, you are the first person who has been friendly to me. I am glad you feel that way. I am your friend, and you can open your heart to me. He asked, how? I do not know you well. So I told him a little about myself, and then he said, I am alone in this world. I have been disappointed by many people in life. How can I know you will not turn against me also? I then said to my children, Let us sing this song from Psalm 118, and we sang, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. This is a nice song, he said. Then I asked, "'Do you believe in God? "'Why should I? "'What has he done for me? "'Do you have a job? "'Are you healthy?' I asked. "'Yes. "'Every day you see the beauty of the world, "'the sunshine, "'and the kindness of people all around you. "'For all these things you must thank the Lord,' I said. "'He replied, "'I never go to synagogue. "'So how can I pray?' I said, you can pray anywhere. The Lord is everywhere, and he can always hear your prayer. Why did you want to befriend me? I said, I saw in you what I see in everyone, the need to be saved. The Lord, in his mercy, has provided a way for us to be saved through his Son. I and my family have been saved by his mercy and blood. He loved us before we even knew him. And when we come to him in faith, he forgives and forgets our sins. He said, I feel like I have been raised from the grave and am alive again. I have greater desire to live than ever before. But how can I be sure this feeling will never leave? I told him, you must come to the Lord in faith. Then he will be your guide and show you the way to life and light. I was so grateful for this opportunity to share God's love with this lonely man. Please pray that he will continue to seek the Lord so he might know true joy and happiness.
0: Our thanks to Elliot Jager for being on the program today. I'll remind you once more to get your free copy of the hardback book, Isaiah's Messiah by Victor Booksbazen. It's yours free this week and next. When you contact us, visit foiradio.org to learn more or call our listener line at 888-343-6940. Again, in the U.S. or Canada, call 888-343-6940 to request your free copy of Isaiah's Messiah. You can write to us at FOI Radio P.O. Box 914, Belmar, New Jersey 08099. Once again, that's FOI Radio P.O. Box 914, Belmar, New Jersey 08099. Or simply visit us at foi-radio.org. That's foi-radio.org. Our host and teacher is Chris Katolka. Today's program was produced by Tom Galeone. Our theme music was composed and performed by Jeremy Strong. And I'm Steve Conover, executive producer. The Friends of Israel Today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide Christian ministry communicating biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while fostering solidarity with the Jewish people.